0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good morning, Birdland. Let's
1: talk some Orioles. My name is Mark Brown. If you know me, you might know me from my writing on CamdenChat.com, the Orioles blog. If you don't know me, that's all right. I'm glad to have you here, whether you're old or new. We are now at March the 27th, 2023. Opening day is a mere three days away for the 2023 Orioles season. They will start up in Boston. Let's get right down to it. I want to tell you about the one thing that makes me the most nervous about this upcoming season. Uh, I've been thinking about it really ever since I heard this fact on a spring training radio broadcast. And of course, it was obviously an uh, other team's broadcast because the Orioles, as we know, did not bother to do too many broadcasts themselves. I believe it was the Tigers radio crew that said this sometime when the Orioles played them earlier in the spring. I don't have the exact thing that they said off the top of my head, but the gist of it was this. On the list of teams that improved by 20 or more wins from the previous year, which of course the 2022 Orioles did by going up to their 83-79 and record, in nearly every occasion, I believe there was only two exceptions, the season after that, that team won fewer games. So obviously the 2022 Orioles fit in this category. Uh, They improved by a whole lot to get to 83 wins. And you know, wouldn't you know it, we've seen this before in not too distant past in Birdland. Uh, We only need to look back about 10 years, exactly 10 years in fact, to when we were transitioning from the 2012 Orioles to the 2013 Orioles. The 2012 Orioles, as we all recall, went 93 and 69 to qualify for an American League wildcard spot that year. No one expected it, least of all us. They uh, happened to improve significantly over their 2011 win total. And so the, uh, the Orioles at that time, of course, hit this 20 or more win improvement. And we all remember what happened probably in the 2013 season. The Orioles did not really make any significant moves over the offseason to improve the team, and the next year they kind of went back down to earth a little bit. They had a respectable 85 and 77, which was just not good enough to make the postseason that year. And the fact is, it could have gone a lot better. Uh, I think if you had looked into if you were sitting at the start of the season and thinking, "Okay, what can improve over last year?" you might have said, "Well, Orioles are going to get a full season of Manny Machado. That would have been a a big thing at that time. Uh, And a bit unexpected, we had the out of nowhere Chris Davis development into one of the premier power hitters in the game for just just two years, uh, 2013 and 2015. And in 2013, he hit 53 home runs. So those are two pretty significant things to get to boost the 93 and 69 Orioles. However, there were other things that were not pointing to an immediate improvement. And a big one is that the 2012 Orioles had a what's called a Pythagorean win-loss uh, expected, expected record of 82 and 80. Now, if you've never heard of the Pythagorean win-loss uh, record before, that's uh, it's based on, you may remember from your high school trigonometry class, you had the a squared plus b squared equals c squared for triangle uh, angles. and the uh, the Pythagorean for baseball is you take your runs scored and your runs allowed, and that gives you an expected win percentage. Pythagoras himself obviously never weighed in on baseball scores, but the name was just kind of borrowed. And in, in 2012, if you were around on the Orioles blogosphere, you probably remember there were some pretty gnarly uh, flame wars flying around at that time over whether this meant anything. Certainly a number of people in the national baseball media class used it as a criticism of the Orioles, uh, as if they could not be "quote unquote" a real successful team uh, as long as their Pythagorean was so much lower than their actual record. I personally don't like looking at Pythagorean that way, but when you're looking from one year into the next year, I do think there's some value in saying, okay, what was the team's talent level when you probably take some luck uh, out of the equation. And sure enough, uh, the 2013 Orioles did not benefit from as much of the luck. You may famously remember the 2012 Orioles were 29-9 and in one-run games. Their bullpen only had, uh, you know, Orioles relievers only were charged with 11 losses in the entirety of the 2012 season, which is pretty crazy. 2013 Orioles... They went to that E5 and 77 record, which, as it turned out, was identical to their Pythagorean win loss expectation from that year. However, they fell to a 20 and 31 record in one run games. They just couldn't keep that uh, amazing success going. And the Orioles relievers ended up being charged with 26 losses in the 2013 season. And you had basically Jim Johnson went from three losses to eight losses. Guys who took only a handful uh, just started losing games. You had uh, Darren O'Day did a little worse. Pedro Strope did a lot worse. Tommy Hunter had some challenges. So here we are. We're going from the 2022 Orioles to the 2023 Orioles. And wouldn't you know it, there were basically no significant additions over the Orioles offseason. The 2022 Orioles had a Pythagorean win loss expectation of 79 and 83. So their expected record was about four wins worse than their actual record. So if you're thinking, okay, well, what talent are they adding? They're starting kind of four wins below where they actually were. And once again, like you could have done a decade ago, you could have pointed to things like, okay, we're now going to get a full season of Adley Rutschman. Uh, who's going to start out ready to go. It's not going to have an adjustment period for him necessarily. We're going to get a full season of Gunnar Henderson. There's going to be the addition of Grayson Rodriguez, the starting rotation. Those are three really big ones, right? And the problem is uh, you could have a team where all of those things go well and other things start going wrong for the 2023 Orioles that maybe nobody really thought of. So we're going to see what's going to happen with that. I guess if you want to look at some good news, it's that it's not necessarily going to be the bullpen. The reason for that is because the 2022 Orioles bullpen was actually uh, not really all that perfect. You had Jorge Lopez, before he was traded, was responsible for six losses. And that included two memorably blown games in early July to the Minnesota Twins, the team that ultimately acquired Lopez. Lopez, as we know, went on to do poorly once he was traded to the Twins. You had also Joey Crable was charged with five losses, Dylan Tate and Felix Bautista four losses apiece. So from that standpoint, there is some room for improvement in the bullpen. Uh, The 2022 Orioles, in fact, were 23 and 24 in one run games, So they didn't have that crazy, probably unsustainable record trying to roll over into the next season and hope that it's still going to work out that way it's uh it's it's actually hopefully the Orioles are going to be able to improve their 1-1 one, one, run one, 1 run record. Uh, the 2022 Orioles by the way had relievers charged with 29 losses. So what's going to happen? Well, one problem for the bullpen itself is the bullpen mix is already kind of shaken up based on what you would have thought about before camp began. Um At that time, you certainly would have assumed that both Dylan Tate and Michael Givens, who the Orioles got a reunion with, uh, with a free agent signing over the offseason, would have been in the opening day bullpen. Well, camp began. uh, spring. He reported to spring training. Dylan Tate did. And we immediately found out that he had suffered a forearm strain over the offseason, and he's probably not going to be back until mid-May. So Tate... He was really one of the crucial late-inning guys last season, and we already know, okay, it's looking like at least about six weeks of the season that the Orioles are going to be without him. Somebody else is going to have to step up. You might have thought the veteran Givens returning would be that guy. However, over the past several days, we have discovered that Givens is dealing with a sore left knee, and as as he was working in a live bullpen session on Sunday afternoon, Uh, He he wasn't able to complete the session in a healthy way. The Orioles beat writers who were watching it tweeted about how he threw his glove in anger after completing the session and manager Brandon Hyde after the session said that Givens is still not a certainty to be on the opening day roster. Uh, It seems like if he couldn't throw pain-free on March the 26th, he's probably not going to be healthy for the roster for opening day. So. Somebody else, again, is going to have to step up there. And that's in addition to, we are going to be hoping, that Felix Bautista uh, is going to be able to carry on and do about the same as he did last year. He did really great. He had a 2.19 ERA over the full season, a 0.929 whip. You really want to get your elite late-inning relievers below a 1 whip. That's less than one race runner per inning. Pretty good. Bautista really was a lot of fun last year. He started picking up nicknames, like The Mountain, after the character from uh, Game of Thrones, or if you're my flavor of nerd, you might remember the books, The Song of Ice and Fire, before the Game of Thrones series ever came along. Later in the year, he had the Omar from the Wire whistle as the entrance music for uh, Walking In, which, to be honest with you, always made me nervous because, uh, spoiler, Omar dies and gets shot in the head and then when he's on the morgue uh, table, he, the name tag gets switched with some other guy. So he gets buried. No one even knows who's he, who he is. His death was not worth writing about in The Baltimore Sun in The Wire Universe. So I, I honestly, I don't know if that's a great omen to use for the closer. I, I said that last year. Some people yelled at me uh, for even bringing that up. But it, it's it's kind of stuck now. Uh, Felix, coming, y'all. And, you know, whistling the farmer in the Dell. So uh, I I just hope that that doesn't end tragically. Bautista, can he do it again? He's going to be the closer, starting from the gate, out of the gate. Uh, Last year, of course, Jorge Lopez got the late-in chances until after he was traded. So Bautista's the guy to start the year.
0: Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lowe. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: The next is probably going to be CNL Perez, who I, for my money, he might be the biggest regression candidate. He was really just amazing at a 1.48 ERA last season. And if you remember from the last episode when I talked about fielding independent pitching, Perez, uh, Perez, excuse me, is a guy who has some regression potential. He had a 2.80 So that's still pretty good for a reliever, but it's not as good as a 1.40 ERA. So as far as if you're thinking, okay, is he going to be as good? Well, he only has to be slightly less good, and that's a real problem for the Orioles bullpen. They already don't really have a third guy necessarily who's locked in to be kind of maybe the seventh inning guy. If Perez is the eighth inning guy and Bautista is the ninth inning guy. So we're going to see who's able to step up and start to, uh, to do that. One guy who we know it's not going to be is D.L. Hall, who was muted as a possible uh, bullpen choice. But the Orioles optioned him to AAA Norfolk on Sunday. That means they're going to be building him up in the minors as a starting pitcher. I think that seems like a good decision. You probably want to take another crack at seeing if Hall can be a starting pitcher. I have always been nervous about Hall relative to kind of the, uh, the hype level. Because he just walked too many dudes, and I always get nervous about guys who walk too many dudes. In the 2022 minor league season, DL Hall, or as Grayson Rodriguez likes to say, Dayton Lane Hall, uh, making fun of Hall's accent, as far as I understand, Hall walked 50 batters in 84 and a third innings. Okay, that's a lot of walks. It's a 5.3 walks per nine innings, and it's it's a lot. He's done this in his entire. Um, professional career, going all the way back to when he was walking. He walked 42 batters in 94 and a third innings for Delmarva in 2018. And he walked 54 batters in 80 and two thirds innings. That's a 6.0 walks per nine in the 2019 season for what was then the high A affiliate in Frederick. That affiliate is now in Aberdeen. And it's he just he walks a lot of guys. He's never going to be able to go too deep into games. And if he's a reliever when he's walking that many guys, if he's always putting that many guys on base, he's always going to be making you nervous. So that's my thing about Hall. But either way, he's not in the bullpen mix. They're going to have him be a starting pitcher. So we're going to be looking at guys who are going to need to step up. It's probably going to be somebody like Joey Crable needs to do better than last year. And Crabel already wasn't great. And by FIP, he's actually a regression candidate as well. He had an ERA in the high threes and a FIP actually nearly a run higher than that. So it's maybe going to be looking for somebody like Brian Baker, who actually underachieved his FIP. He had a 3.49 ERA and only a 2.74 FIP. Uh, It's maybe going to be Keegan Aiken, who looks like he's going to be the other lefty in the bullpen. And it's maybe going to be somebody like. Mike Bauman who has really up until heading into this year kind of seemed to be in the starting pitching mix. The Orioles finally in this spring training made him out and just said you know what he's going to be a reliever we'll see what he does. Um, Mike Bauman in that way kind of makes me think of a previous Mike who was on the Orioles several years ago that was Mike Wright who everybody was always like well he can't really hack it as a starting pitcher But maybe once they start letting him be a single inning reliever, let him air it out over one or maybe two innings, his stuff will play up and then he'll be able to do better. Well, you guys, uh, the fact that Mike Wright never really uh, got, he he was never good enough to kind of get traded in the 2018 or 2020 uh, sell-off trades. We are not going to remember that name fondly. He had a 5.95 ERA over his entire Orioles tenure. So that's not a great guy to remind me of. But then again, I'm just a dude who is on the second episode of a podcast. So I don't know anything relative to actual professionals over whether Mike Bauman is actually going to be able to be a good option in the late innings for the Orioles. It seems like he's a guy who we're going to be hoping steps up. Uh, Rule 5 guy Andrew Politti is going to maybe get a chance to show that he's uh, able to, to hack it in a big league bullpen. Mike Elias, his previous Rule 5 pick that stuck with the team, was Tyler Wells, who ended up in the starting rotation last year. Maybe going to get kicked back to the bullpen this year. It's not certain yet. The Orioles, of course, have not yet set their opening day roster. The final spring training game will be played later today on the 27th of March, and they will maybe do it after that. They might put off their decisions until Tuesday. Uh, It's hard to say. Uh, Right now, it seems like Polity maybe has a chance to make the team. The injuries to both Tate and Gibbons, as well as Hall being cleared out by being optioned to the minors, does seem to open up uh, a Rule 5 pick. So if he does make the team, that kind of squeezes the Orioles for some roster flexibility. They can't uh, send him down to the minors without exposing him to waivers. If he doesn't pitch well, that doesn't matter, But if and if he is pitching well, they won't want to put him on waivers. But if he's kind of in that between, like, eh, you know, he's, he's kind of okay sometimes, kind of not, uh, that might make it tougher. The Orioles have only two other guys in their bullpen mix who will not be able to be freely optioned, and those are Cnl Perez and Austin both. They are out of options, so if they're in the bullpen, which it certainly seems like they will be, they can't be optioned every time you need a fresh reliever. So... Let's say maybe somebody like Joey Crable or Brian Baker or Keegan Aiken could be sent down to the minors uh, as needed. And then who else is going to get cycled through? I don't know. The the fun thing, I guess, about the Mike Elias roster construction is he's always trying to find a guy who's going to be good. And you never know which guy is going to come up and find some kind of success. And you never know which guy is going to come up and he's going to be more like... Uh, I don't know. Just to name some random 2022 Orioles who are not going to have very memorable tenures. Rico Garcia, uh, Marcos Diplon, or uh, let's see, how about Logan Allen? Yes, these are not names that are worth remembering. (laughs) Someday when there's a squircle quiz of all the guys who were on the 2022 Orioles, those are not the names you're going to remember. So what more to say about the bullpen? One more thing about probably whether this team is able to overachieve relative to what's projected for them because, again, all the computers and all the prognosticators that look at this team, they don't see a winning team, let alone a playoff team, because they're just, for the most part, they're not convinced that the starting rotation is going to be any good. And many are also not convinced that last year's bullpen success stories will be able to carry it over. Well, you know, I'm nervous about that, too. So what's going to happen? Well, as I'm going to say many times through this podcast, we'll find out as the season goes along. So that's the bullpen. That's about all I have on this episode. So let's dip into the mailbag. If you if you want to email me, I'm going to try to read out at least one email every episode. This You can email me. It's at camdencastpod at gmail.com. And I did, I did get one email to read off on this second episode. My Camden Chat colleague Stacy took pity on me and emailed. Stacy writes in, Welcome back. Thank you for creating a podcast I can listen to on my way to work to stay on top of Orioles news. Thank you, Stacy. That's very kind of you. Now, Stacy also asked, which prospects are you most looking forward to seeing promoted this season? And when do you think he'll get here? Well, the obvious answer for me is Grayson Rodriguez. I don't think that's a very fun answer because it's so obvious. So I'm going to take my number two answer. And that's Joey Ortiz, who was the Orioles fourth round pick in the 2019 draft. One reason why I'm looking forward to seeing him be promoted is because uh, baseball prospect writer Keith Law, now at The Athletic, he's been a pretty big uh, hype guy for Joey Ortiz for a couple of years now. And Law ranked Ortiz as the number six prospect in the Orioles system. And among the praise that Law said for Ortiz included, quote, great actions and soft hands, possibly the best defender of the Orioles' many, many shortstop prospects. As far as hitting, quote, he's short to the ball and hits a lot of line drives. He rarely whiffs. And the second half performance might point to an elite upside, end quote. And the second half performance that Law is referring to, Ortiz in July had a 1.112 OPS. In August, he had a 1.018 OPS. And in September, after being promoted to AAA, Ortiz had a uh, a .952 OPS. Those are pretty good numbers. Yes, they're against minor league competition, but that's pretty good. So, when are we going to see him? I don't know. I I have a feeling we're going to get to see him maybe before the All-Star break. And the reason for that is because I just have a feeling that somebody in the Orioles infield mix is going to either get hurt or stink sometime before then. And it seems like Ortiz will maybe be the first guy up. I'm saying this regrettably because Mateo is uh, Jorge Mateo is maybe my wife's favorite Oriole right now. But Jorge Mateo is the guy whose performance I'm side-eyeing the most. He simply wasn't really all that good last year. He did, he did get a 3.4 war on baseball reference, I should say. So that's heavily defense and speed-based. But he only had a 267 on base percentage. And I'm very concerned that that's about on the level where if he gets any lower... Or if he has a bit less fortune stealing bases, even in spite of the larger bases, he's not actually going to be creating the value he created last year, and he's really going to be a drag at the plate. You, you know, if you take away uh, the stolen bases or the defense from Mateo, he start, looks starts looking more like Ruben Ojeda last year, and that you know that's not a good place to be. So, I think either Mateo or free agent signing Adam Fraser, about whom I also don't have high hopes. I think either one of those guys might get shunted to the side and Ortiz will come along and claim that spot. That's what I think. It could also be Jordan Westberg. It could also be Connor Norby. It could be none of those guys, depending on how their development goes, or really who ends up potentially getting traded if the Orioles need to improve areas of their team uh, at the trade deadline, which hopefully they're having a good enough season that they're looking to add Rather than subtract, Uh, it does still remain sad that the Orioles, where they were last year, despite being in the race, ended up deciding to subtract to, as Mike Elias said, hopefully fortify the pitching staff in the long term. We will see whether that bears out with the guys they got in those trades. Um, It does help, as I mentioned earlier, Lopez, at least Jorge Lopez, was not great after getting traded. You never want to count on relievers uh, being able to. Continue amazing performance. You don't want to bet your life on it anyway. Trey Mancini was sad when he got traded. Um, uh, my, pre- my wife's previous favorite player, it was a sad day when when he was traded in this household. But, you know, he, he did end up going on to get to win the World Series with the Astros. So that was pretty good for him. Hopefully the uh, the pitchers, the Orioles got, Chase McDermott most, name, uh, most particularly, are able to be something. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. That is going to wrap it up for me. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, I do have a Twitter. It's at CamdenCast. Uh, it's going to be more active over time. As I'm just getting started, I'm, I'm more focused on other things. Uh, again, you can email CamdenCastPod at gmail.com. And if you don't want to wait for the next podcast, you can always drop by CamdenChat.com and see what me and several others have to say about the Orioles as the season is going along. So I'll be back on Wednesday, and Good Morning Birdland is a Camdencast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.